This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Clavio. Clavio is a platform that helps growth focused e commerce brands drive more sales with super targeted, highly relevant email, Facebook, and Instagram marketing. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance and my guest today is Lindsay Peterson. She is a brand strategist and leadership coach and also the author of a book we're going to talk about today, Forging an Ironclad Brand, A Leader's Guide. So welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, John. It's good to be here with you today. As I know you know, a lot of people think brand, especially consumer goods people, which you have a background in, uh, think brand and they think logo, colors, packaging. But I really think so much about the way people buy has changed today that I, I think you can make a case for saying a brand is everything, including a whole lot of stuff that's out of our control. So how do we deal with that? Oh my gosh, it's so true. And the word brand takes people to such different places. And so I, I kind of start any conversation about brand kind of requires a definition of terms. So what I mean when I say brand is what is the meaning you stand for in the mind of your audience? What is what is the thing that you represent to your target customer? And that is, and you use the word everything, it is kind of the sum total of everything that your company does from the overt things that you do to the implicit things that you do, from the big things to the small things, from messaging to product to pricing. So it's all of the things that you mean, that the the sum total of those things uh, reinforces in your customer's head what you what you mean, what you stand for. So it's it's true. There are a lot of people who would who would define brand as uh, a logo or you know the look and feel and zeitgeist of a brand of a business. Or sometimes brand is even you know the name of the company is is the brand, and sometimes. Brand is um, advertising, like Mad Men. And all of those things are manifestations of brand, or at least they ought to be. Um, but they can't be equated with brand either. Well, and it's interesting because I, you know, I've been saying this for 20 years to small business owners who really don't think about brand, or at least don't think about brand in this sense. And yet, you know, every business has a brand. I think the only question is whether or not you're controlling it or trying to guide it. Exactly. It's and it's true that it's funny because the reason that brand matters is that it gives the leader clarity. It gives the leader a north star against which to make decisions for growing the business. So when I think of companies that most gain from that, that's the companies, the leaders of companies that are small businesses that that most need focus because their resources are so constrained. So it is kind of a, it's a funny thing. And it's one of, it's one of the reasons I wrote the book that I did. I wanted to demystify it because the people who are most likely to um, kind of misunderstand brand as a small thing are the same people who stand to benefit the most from it. And I want to bring us back to a point though, because for a lot of people, when they have this big brand discussion, and they say, it's not about the logo. It's not about the packaging. It's not about the colors. Design is still super important, I think, for, for a brand. In fact, I know a lot of companies that invest 
in great design. I mean, it, it allows them to communicate what their brand stands for in such a, a potent way. A hundred percent. The the name of your business, the logo and the iconography and font and colors and shapes and imagery and photography that you use are it's like a super highway to the limbic system of of the the brain of your audience. So it's wildly important. Um, and and what makes it powerful is when the development, the design, and the creative decisions that you make to convey, you know, whether it's the name or the logo or the font that you choose or the tone of your voice, what's really powerful is when they're congruent with the meaning that you want to stand for. They're not random. They are uh, a deep and direct reflection of that promise that you want your business to bring to your customer. Yeah. And so that's when people start, you know, the accounting firm that has a really fun website, you know, is suggesting we're a little more fun than the other people. And I think that that's such a great way to actually get your not only your differentiation, but maybe your promise across. Absolutely. Absolutely. You also brought up this idea of intention and control and um, and maybe even um, in this media environment that we all live in today, where there's so much information and our attention is so scarce, um, how much control do we really have of our brand? And the way that I, I, I want to kind of like splice that question to first, you do have agency in uh, declaring what you want your brand to be. And it's, you know, position or be positioned, right? As, as the old adage goes, if you want to um, have the positioning that's going to create the most value for your business, then you're deliberate about defining what you want that thing to be. So that's that's the first thing. And that's frankly what most people get wrong is that they just don't they don't get uh, deliberate and intentional about identifying their brand to begin with. And that is uh, leaving a lot of power on the table. It's leaving a lot to chance that your customer is going to perceive you the way that you want your customer to perceive you. So I kind of flip it to um, before before you talk about the ways that you can communicate and express your brand, um, which you're right, there's only so much control, quote unquote, control that you have about the way that it's going to be perceived in the marketplace. But you sure have a better chance of succeeding if you've done the work and the soul searching to define what you want that thing to be so that it can be your business's North Star. Yeah, a lot of people kind of whine about the Oh, you know, people are out there saying stuff. I think that's a great opportunity because now, you know, it used to be you could break your promises. And if you had a slick ad, it didn't, it didn't matter, maybe, you know, but 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 now if you break your promises, somebody will create a YouTube channel talking about it. And, and so I think the companies that that stay true to their brand that, you know, keep their promises. I, I think they actually have an advantage today. Yes, it's true. And there's this, um, 
there was a short period in human history, you know, the second half of the 20th century, essentially, when the company that had the largest budget, had the loudest megaphone, and could spend the most to get word out, you know, usually via TV media. And there wasn't a lot that the customer could do. It wasn't a a two-way conversation. And that is no longer the case that because the the megaphone is democratized now we all can talk about it the funny thing is though john that i think about with this is in some ways it's new that we have a two-way megaphone but in some ways what was a blip is the way that it was when TV advertising was having its heyday. Because most of human history, we can tell our friends if we don't like, you know, the butcher down the street or the baker where we got stale bread. And we we do have voices. It's just that now we can talk to more people uh, with less time and money than it might have taken before. So when I hear you talk about brand you know, all I hear is strategy. I mean, and and I think that that's a part a lot of people miss is that it, this really has to be done at the strategic level for an organization, doesn't it? It does. In fact, in some ways, the way that I think about brand, and this is true for a lot of the people that I interviewed for my book as well, in some ways, when you define your brand strategy, it's just a consumer-facing way of defining your business strategy. It's a more um, closer to the ground way of defining how your business is going to succeed. And a lot of times business strategy is gets a little esoteric or a little bit um, kind of devoid of empathy. And brand strategy can take whatever that business strategy idea is and make it more meaningful to the people who are creating those bonds with with the target audience, either person to person or with the products and messaging that they're developing. So yes, brand strategy, I mean, just like with any strategy, it's about taking a step back, looking at what you have, what your strengths are, what the competitive um, strengths and white space might look like and, and learning about what your target customer wants and needs that others can't provide. That's kind of the essence of business. That's the essence of commerce. If you're making a trade, why should they come to you rather than to somebody else or rather than not buying anything at all? So when you define that, you are defining your business strategy, but you're also defining your brand strategy in a way that um, can be easier and more potent for uh, bringing to life with your customer. And I like the way you really position this because I think a lot of people think of brand and they think, how do we want to be perceived? Um, and I think you come at it more from a, you know, what problem were we solving? You know, who can we bring the most value to? And and obviously, you know, who can be a valuable customer to us as well. But I think that I think starting with that customer point of view about the brand. It's almost like, how do we want to be experienced by them as opposed to, you know, what are we trying to make them think? Does that make sense? I, because yes. I, because I see that throughout your book. Yes. That's, that's, I love that. I, I love the way that you articulated that. And I a hundred percent it's, 
it's kind of, it comes back to, you know, so why are we in business? Why, why are we doing what we're doing? It's to serve a certain person who has a certain problem. And we have a way of solving that problem that others don't have. Otherwise, we wouldn't have differentiation and therefore we wouldn't have strong enough margins to stay in business. So when you get very precise and intentional about what those elements are, who is your customer? Um, what is the problem that they're trying to solve? How do you uniquely solve that problem? You can make decisions across your business and across the customer journey that reinforce that thing. It's at its basis, and the reason that I think this is so powerful for leaders in particular, is it's a focusing mechanism. You can make decisions um, with your brand as a filter, so you don't have to litigate every every um, every little and big decision you make can be so much easier if you're putting it through the filter of does doing X, Y, or Z. Um, bring me closer to delivering this unique promise to this target customer? If no, don't proceed. If yes, then proceed. We've joked um, for years. You remember the breast bracelets, you know, that I think they were, they've been used for a lot of things, but you know, the, what would Jesus do? Do you remember? Oh, you sure. Remember yeah. Well, so for years we have had, what would duct tape do? And that was kind of our, so, sort of our idea, you know, about awesome, like our filter. John, that is so great. I love that. <laughs> I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Clavio. Clavio helps you build meaningful customer relationships by listening and understanding cues from your customers. And this allows you to easily turn that information into valuable marketing messages. There's powerful segmentation, email autoresponders that are ready to go, great reporting. You want to learn a, bit, a little bit about the secret to building customer relationships? They've got a really fun series called Clavio's Beyond Black Friday. It's a docu-series, a lot of fun, quick lessons. Just head on over to clavio.com beyond BF, beyond Black Friday. So as I hear you talk about this now, you know, there are big companies that have departments and divisions and they sell different products and they have different markets. So in a lot of ways, it's it's hard for them to keep all the moving parts in place. But I think for a small business, would you go as far as saying that brand could be their culture? Yes, uh, yes. And in fact, it's funny, when I was doing this research to to write my book, and I interviewed about 50 leaders across big companies, small companies, lots of different industries, the thing that most surprised me when I was interviewing these leaders about the value of brand was how much they expressed uh, it as a tool for culture building for galvanizing employees around a, uh, a purpose or an idea and that it's it's the internal beacon that um, I, I I did know that that was valuable but I was surprised at how often this came up that brand is a way to make something really intangible like culture um, um, have a single point to have a uh, a definition of what it is. And when employees feel purpose, um, and brand is one way of coalescing with a purpose, um, they give more to their business and they, um, they are, um, 
they're set up to be happier and they're set up, set up to create more meaning in their own lives and to create more value for your business. So it's all this kind of happy, um, virtuous cycle of employees have purpose. They know how to succeed in their job. They feel great about it. Um, and it ties them to the, to the target customer, the person that they're serving, which, which makes for a more vibrant work environment. So, I, I totally agree with that. And it's something that I didn't know or I didn't appreciate deeply when I first set out to write this book. Well, and I think a lot of um, I mean, the, one, one of the sort of good news, bad news things about that is you can't really fake that. And, and so that, you know, that's a really positive thing for somebody that really does have purpose. But how about these organizations that, that a lot of them start that way? It's like, here's what we believe. Here's how people need to be served. And then all of a sudden they've got 100 employees. And it's like, how do we keep that? Yes. Yes. And I think the, the, so one of the things that I have noticed and, and the reason that I wrote this book for leaders as opposed to marketing people is that when brand slash culture is delegated, so brand can be delegated to marketing and culture can be delegated to HR. If when that happens, it loses its whole power or or it becomes something it might be a neat marketing campaign if if marketing is driving it um it might be a neat team building idea if hr is driving it but the leader needs to be modeling it and feeling it and breathing it and if that's not happening they're not giving air cover to the rest of the organization to make trade-offs according to this brand according to this culture so as a company grows it's it's particularly useful and particularly incumbent upon the leader to keep reinforcing why we're here and why we do this. And what is it that makes us different from other companies who are either in this space or who are serving the same target audience? What makes us different? And it's one of those things, it's like, um, it's like Stephen Covey talks about things that are important but not urgent. And both culture and brand, I believe, fall into that quadrant. Um, it's kind of like, you know, taking care of your health um, by eating well and by exercising and taking good care of your relationships. That's important, but not urgent. But if you don't do those things, then you wind up in, in, in urgent situations. You wind up at the emergency room. So it's the same thing with leading a company. There's a by embracing the things that's important but not urgent, so the, the tenets of the brand, the elements of the culture, um, you prevent getting into a, an emergency you know, with customer relationships or with employees fleeing the organization as soon as the economy goes in their favor. So it really does take this kind of leadership believing it and having conviction in it and energy for it that... Um, will take them, you know, from startup phase to medium-sized company phase, and it's really hard. It's really hard to do even with a brand, but it's really hard to do if you haven't sat down and distilled what is it that we want to mean, what is it that's going to make us different in the long run. So we've been having such a lovely time chatting that I haven't asked you the money question. What is an ironclad brand then? Yes, yes. Yeah, so my what I contend is that. Of all of the brand positioning territories that you could claim as yours, 
there are some that are more attractive than others. And the ones that have, there are nine qualities, nine criteria for an ironclad brand that I define in this book. And when you have those nine qualities, you're setting yourself up to create the most value for your business. So an ironclad brand is one, would you like me to go through what the, the criteria are real quick? You bet. Although, okay. we, although we do want people to buy the book. so <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, I'll, I'll be really quick so that people might still want to buy the book. Um, the criteria are that your brand is big. So the number one criteria is that your brand promise is big enough to matter to your customer, that it's a big space in the customer's head. The second is that it's narrow. So Although it's big enough to matter, it's also narrow enough that you can own it, that you can dominate it. The third is that it's asymmetrical. So it uses your company's lopsided advantage, your unfair advantage as a company. Number four is that it's empathetic. So it addresses a deeply relevant, meaningful need for your customer, that it has your customer's interests at heart. Number five is that it's optimally distinct. So it strikes a balance between familiar and novel. It's not not so familiar that it's boring, but it's not so novel that it's unrecognizable and hard for somebody to learn and remember. Number six is that it's both functional and emotional. So it serves the customer um, at this critical intersection of the customer's heart and mind. It's not just emotional, but it's also not just functional. It's both. Number seven is that it's sharp edged. It entails a single specific, simple promise. It's ridiculously clear to customers what you do and do not promise as a business. Number eight is that it's that it ha- that your brand promise has teeth. It's demonstrably true. It's not just true, but it's clear that it's true because you provide concrete proof. Lastly, number nine is that your brand promise delivers. You deliver on it every time consistently with the big things to the small things, from the new customers to the loyal customers. You're nailing not just the letter of the promise, but also the spirit of the promise. So an ironclad brand encompasses all of those qualities and therefore creates the most value for the business. So let's wrap up on the thing that people tend to gravitate towards quite often. Um, What, if you pull this off, and you create an ironclad brand, you know, what's the ROI? I mean, what, are, what, what is, what's the benefit of, because in some cases you're going to have to invest, you're going to have to evolve, you're going to have to train. So what's the, what's the payoff? Well, so the, the, there's, so let me separate strategy from tactics. So developing your, de- developing this statement of what you stand for as a business, it only takes the time and money that it took you to, you know, either read my book or, you know, sit at a whiteboard and figure this out. And you can, you can hire a brand strategist to help you with that, or you can do it yourself. So it's kind of like, that's the strategy. You haven't put, you haven't put meaningful money, you know, working media dollars against that yet. That's the North star. And then so you, there isn't an ROI on your brand, just like there, it, it's it's the whole business strategy. So you, one way of thinking about the ROI for the brand strategy is that everything that you do internally 
um, you save a lot of time and energy because you're not chasing small ideas. You're only worrying about ideas that are big ideas. But I think what you're asking more, John, is now that you have this idea that you want to reinforce inside the head of your customers, when you spend money against it, how do you know that it's going to be um, how do you know that you're going to recoup your investment eventually? And that is more a function of what your um, what your business goals are, because a lot of the businesses that um, most benefit from a North Star, from the focus of a brand strategy, are not going to spend any money on marketing. They're the, you know, the mom and pop coffee shop down the street or the, you know, the the retailer that has three locations in your city. And to them, marketing is a website and a logo and maybe some flyers and maybe um, uh, some free samples of, you know, if it's a coffee shop. So that's a small, that's, that's a small marketing budget. Your brand is, is the thing that you want to reinforce, not just with your marketing activities, but with, everything that the customer experiences. So it might help you decide where to have office space. It might help you decide how to price. It might help you decide who to partner with. And yes, it'll also help you decide how to promote and message and advertise what you have to offer. But a lot of those things are free um, or, or they're not free. They're things that you're already doing. You're already deciding where to have office space. You're already developing a product. So this is about harnessing the power of focus so that all of those things by defining the one thing all of those levers can work together to reinforce that yeah i I guess in some ways what i was getting at is is i think when people get this right um i'll use your coffee shop example i drive by three no maybe four coffee shops to go to the coffee shop that i like um, and, you know, I'm willing to do that because I like the experience. I like what they stand for. And I think that that's, that's the point I guess I was really making. I mean, I, I'll give you another example. I was a professional speaker, you know, long before my first book came out. My first book came out and sold pretty well. And all of a sudden, people were willing to pay me four and five times what I was charging mm. just because my brand meant something to them. Yes. Yes. And I think, like, I, I, when we go back to the definition of what is what is brand, it's the thing that the thing that you stand for in the mind of your audience, whether the audience is people who hire you to do speaking engagements or people who sell you coffee um, or, or who you're buying coffee from those um, by kind of distilling it to one thing, you're more likely to be reinforcing a single idea. And when you reinforce a single idea, you're making them do less work to understand who you are. And when they do less work to understand who you are, they're more likely to like you and to remember you. So it's it's kind of like, don't do any, you know, expensive product development or promotion or, or, or media when you haven't done this, because it's going to be such a poor ROI if you're throwing a lot of things against the wall. Well, and I, and I spend a lot of time reading um, Google reviews of our customers, of prospects, you know, of all types of businesses. And I can tell you, 90% of them don't even mention, sometimes you can't even tell what the business does. But what they talk about is the great experience, the great people, how easy it was, you know, that kind of stuff. And, yes. I, and I think that's what people need to realize is the brand today, isn't it? It is. It's the way that people feel having interacted with you. And they 
they might remember something functional or they might just remember the result of how they felt because you were able to solve a problem they otherwise weren't able to solve. So it, that's exactly right. This is all about connecting human to human with your audience. I'm speaking with Lindsay Peterson, and we're talking about her book, Forging an Ironclad Brand, The Leader's Guide. So Lindsay, where can people find out more about you and your work and your book? Thank you so much, John. Yeah, so my book is Forging an Ironclad Brand. It's available on Amazon and all that. And if listeners are interested, I have a free giveaway on my business's website, which is ironcladbrandstrategy.com. And the giveaway is a workbook that I adapted from the book, Forging an Ironclad Brand. It serves as a supplement to the book. So it's this step-by-step workbook guide of the ironclad method to building a brand strategy. So you can find that at ironcladbrandstrategy.com. And I'd love to be connected with your listeners. If anybody wants to link up with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, I would very much enjoy that. Awesome. And we'll have all those links in the show notes as always. So Lindsay, thanks for dropping by and uh, hopefully we'll run into you soon out there on the road. It was my pleasure, John. Thanks so much. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.